7, beginning in verse 10. Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 10. And the commandment which to bring life I found to bring death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy, and the commandments holy, and just, and good. As then what is good become death to me? Certainly not, but sin. That it might appear sin was produced was producing death in me through what through that is good so that sin through the commandments might become exceedingly sinful for we know that the law is spiritual but I am carnal sold under sin for what I am doing I do not understand for what I will to do that I do not practice but what I hate that I do. If then I do what is, it, I will not to do, I agreed with the law that it is good. But it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, there, in my flesh, there is nothing good dwells. For to will is present to me, with me, but how, how to perform what is good I do not find. Having trouble with these glasses a little bit. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin dwells in me. I find, then, a law that evil is present with me, the one who dwells to do good. For I delight in the law of the Lord of God, according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity of the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I... With the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. <laughs> We've just uh, recently, a few weeks past, celebrated the 1st of January, the beginning of a new year, and it's a time that a lot of us make uh, New Year's resolutions. Now, I don't know about the rest of you, but I've never had a lot of luck with New Year's resolutions. Uh, usually within... Uh, uh, a month at the most and sometimes just less than that I've forgotten all about them but the que- it brings up a question can a person really change him or herself can they really choose new values and stick to them uh, a lot of people have problems with that the alcoholic and the drug addict says that uh, again and again, I'll stop, I'll stop drinking, I'll stop taking drugs. This goal, this is the idea, then suddenly there is a moral failure and with it comes 
discouragement. The self-image is destroyed, and the person doesn't like him or herself. He tries to put up a front with others, but inside he is hurting. That, that is a moral dilemma within all of us. We have the Holy Spirit, but we also have the old sin nature that's in us, and they war one against the other. Now, that's what Paul is dealing with in our passage of Scripture. Paul says there is a war going on inside of me. The things I want to do, I do not do. I set goals, I make my plans, I pass resolutions, and somewhere along the way I fail. And the things I do not want to do, somehow, some way, something inside me compels me to do them under the correct circumstance. Well, I guess some, the, the idea there is it just we're tempted and weak and do what we're not supposed to do. So Paul says, I have discovered a law. The law is this. The law is sin is still in me. Though I'm converted and saved, sin still works in me. But also there is the law of the spirit that is in me. And again, these two are at war. Now, I read something here some time ago. It kind of illustrates this just a little bit. and I can't remember what country it's from. It may have been China in times past, where if a person was convicted of murder, they basically took the old rotting body of the person they killed and strapped it to them until it fell rotted off of them. Now, that's... Uh, kind of a messy description, but it kind of explains the two natures of us, too. Uh, I don't think something like that's survivable. Paul says, the old body of sin that was there when I was unconverted is still strapped to me. How am I ever going to get rid of it? And then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord is through Jesus Christ that I'll get rid of it. So how do we overcome spiritual discouragement when we've had such high ambitions and such low performance? First of all, we see ourselves as we are. First, we see ourselves realistically. No rose-colored glasses that makes the world look wonderful. No saying that I'm perfect, for we are not. No saying that no, there's nothing wrong with me. And we, we I, I think we do that a lot. And we, no saying that I don't need a thing. We must admit that there is, there is a battle inside of us, like Paul. We have to admit that there's something wrong and that, some, that something is sin. We are tied to it. We are a victim to it. We are a captive to it. And the Bible says that none of us are perfect. All have sinned and all have, like sheep 
have gone astray. Our righteousness is in, is in filthy rags, as in fil- is as filthy rags before God. We have no worth in ourselves. We can't make ourselves acceptable to God. It's only through God's grace that we have any worth at all. You can't become a child of God until you admit you are a child of sin as well. You know, that's something today that a lot of people don't like. That Christians and non-Christians alike, nobody likes to be called a, a sinner. It's uh, not very acceptable in public. But we are, each and every one of us. We need to see ourselves as without God, without hope, without righteousness, and last separated from God. And we need to come to God through Jesus Christ. Second, we need to see ourselves as we may become. We're not locked into what we are. The good news of the gospel is that you can be changed. We all can be changed. And that is what conversion means. You're going one direction, following the Satan. Then you invite Jesus into your life, and he helps you, and you walk away from Satan, and you walk away with Jesus. We need to see ourselves as, conver- as converted persons, born again and turned around. We need to see ourselves with a new nature inside of us. 1 John 3, 9 says, Who is born of God does not commit sin, for his sin remains, or his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. When you're born again, God plants the seed in you. More accurately, God plants his Holy Spirit. And slowly, little by little, your character changes. But God, you begin to grow in you. You begin to grow and develop in the likeness of God. The old song says, change my heart, O God, and make me more like you. That should be the prayer of each and every one of us. But what did John mean when he wrote, whoever is born of God does not sin? Does that mean that if I sin, the Spirit of God is not in me? And there is an answer to that. In the original Greek words, does not sin means that he does not keep on and on and on committing sin. That is habitual sin. It truly does not say he will not, or anyone will not sin again. Uh, I was once a member of a denomination that believed that once you were saved, you didn't sin. The only problem was all you had to do was look around at the people around you and in your own heart. That's kind of how I ended up a Baptist. <laughs> well, it does not say truly say that we will not sin again. But we have two levels. We're born into the world, into the flesh, into the seed of sin, into the seed of the devil, we're satisfied in our sin and 
we even love it. You know, Richard tells us that uh, sin can be pleasurable for a season, but somewhere along the way it destroys you. But then one day, we're born again, brought into a higher level. Then we grow in grace in the likeness of God. And then we do not go on and on and on sinning. Our conscience tells us that we don't like this. We've disgraced ourselves, sinned against God and others. The very fact that you're concerned says that the Holy Spirit is still in you and still working with you and that you will rise back up. You know, there's a, I'm sure you've heard of all of these examples I'm about to share with you, but at the same time, they are true. First of all, a sheep hates mud. Now, they'll fall in it, but they'll get up and get out of it. But the pig likes it and seeks it out and gets in it on purpose and stays there. So that's the difference. Being born again makes a new creation of you, a new being, something entirely different than you were before. And third, we need to see ourselves as God sees us. A very wonderful thing about God is that he isn't the captive of time and space. But we are. We are, and we see ourselves as we are right now in time and space. We see ourselves as a poor example, a miserable failure, and a rotten Christian. But God, but not God. He says us that what we will become in eternity when beyond time and space He sees what he, that he, still having problems with these glasses. <laughs> Give me a minute, figure it out. He sets his approval upon us and we need to see ourselves as God sees us and know that, he, we, that we believe in God and God believes in us. A good example of that is a college professor taught physics. He hated lazy people, was not too good a preacher, uh, teacher because he, he uh, told his new classes every year, you'll just learn the material or you'll fail. You'll get out. And he bragged about the fact that he had a 50% failure rate in his class. But somewhere along the way, he met the Lord, changed the attitude towards people, And his attitude then became, this is a very tough course. You must study to be a, it's pretty hard to pass, but I want all of you to pass. I'll help you to pass, and I hope not one of you fails. And let's work together and we can do it. That's far different from the way the attitude he had before. And his 50% failure rate became a 100% pass rate. He didn't change the course. It was still hard. It wasn't easy. When he changed his attitude, the students rose to the level of high performance. And this is what happens when human beings say, I believe in you. 
Now, how much more will it strengthen us when God says, I believe in you? Again, an illustration. Mary Magdalene, others looked at her as a prostitute. Herbert Lockyer in his book says that uh, there was not an iota of proof that she was a prostitute. So that's the way other people saw her. But it's not the way Jesus saw her. He saw her, he knew he, she would be present at his mock trial, present as he, as at, in Pilate's hall where he was condemned. She saw him led to the Calvary. She was at the foot of the cross and the first witness of the resurrection. That's how the Lord saw her. Then there was Zacchaeus, and by the way, believe it or not, my third great-grandfather was named Zacchaeus. He was a uh, American soldier at the Battle of New Orleans. But the public of that day, and probably today, the people look at Zacchaeus and they think of him as a traitor, a tax collector, that he was a sinner lost forever beyond forgiveness. But that's not what Jesus saw. He saw a son of Abraham despite what he did for a living and went home to eat with him. And all around him were saying he goes home to eat with sinners. But Jesus gave him another chance. Then we have the woman taken in adultery. Though men that bought her before Jesus wanted to stone her, they failed to bring her male companion, and they should have brought both to be stoned. But that's not the way Jesus saw her. You remember he began to write in the dust, and we don't know what he wrote. But I've always heard and always suspected that he was writing the names of the people, the women that the Jewish authorities had uh, sinned with. And they saw that, and from the oldest to the youngest, they left. And Jesus says, who condemns you? And she says, no man, Lord. And he says, go and sin no more. God believes in you. Jesus believes in you. And they cannot be wrong. And by the way, it requires for us to believe in them. Let's close this morning with a prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and the fact that we have the opportunity to share it even if done poorly. We ask your blessings, Lord, on this little church. We pray to see it full. And Lord, we are living a time when churches are closed and people are falling away. We pray for their return. We ask it in Jesus' name. And we ask the blessings on everyone here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.